All right. Again, good morning and welcome to Cornerstone. For those of you that are watching online, I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and welcome to part 10 of Praxis. If you haven't already, make sure that you check in using the app, the card, or texting. And if you're using the card here, or uh, you can hold on to it because we'll probably come back to it at the end. As I mentioned, we are in a series called Praxis. What's the idea of practice? Praxis, those are the our course of action. These are the things that we do as a regular course of action as followers of Jesus. They're not salvation issues. If you do these things, then you're saved. And if you don't, you're in trouble. They're not commandments like the Ten Commandments, but they are the what I like to call, and I think I borrowed this from the message translation, rhythms of grace. Rhythms of grace, they're a part of what we do as followers of Jesus. So we inspire and equip people to be wholehearted followers of Jesus. And this is on the equipping side of things. You may remember that I talked about following uh, uh, or being a part of a church as being a part of a greenhouse. The whole idea is we want to create an environment that maximizes spiritual growth. And the things that we've been talking about are the things that we do to do that. Just like if you were to look at a greenhouse, what's it doing? It's, it's, it's optimizing the environment, the sun, the temperature, the water, the fertilizer. Everything is designed to facilitate growth and fruitfulness. And hopefully, that's what happens when you come into a church setting as well. We put all the elements together to maximize growth and fruitfulness. And so we have uh, identified the pattern that Jesus established in his life, and it's a pattern that we follow as well. If you look at Jesus, there, he was praying, he was constantly going off on his own in order to commune with his heavenly father. He was constantly teaching and healing. Teaching is more the idea of apprenticing, so uh, bringing people along together in the process. And then uh, healing. He found the needs that were there and around his community and the people that he encountered and he met those needs. So we've shorthanded that as know, grow, and go. Know God, grow together, go and make a difference. And there are key next steps and core, uh, core practices, rhythms of grace that are associated with that. So let me give you kind of the big picture of where we've been so far because we are moving on to a new section. Under that rubric of knowing God, of communing with our Heavenly Father, the next step that we talk about is saying yes. And that's kind of our shorthand for how you start your journey with Jesus and how you continue your journey with Jesus. It starts when you say yes to Jesus, yes to him as Lord and Savior. Savior, because you're saying what I want what, I want what he did on the cross to count for me. Lord, from this point on, he's the boss. He gets to call the shots in my life. I'm going to follow him. Now, Associated with that, there are two ordinances. These are practices that were established by Jesus and have been continued by his followers, by the church, from that point forward. They are baptism and communion. Baptism is the ceremony and celebration that we 
uh, that we do when a person decides to follow Jesus. Communion is the celebration and the practice that we just a couple of minutes ago did together here that reminds us and, and, um, and celebrates our ongoing relationship. I think of it as a parallel with marriage. You can think of baptism as a wedding ceremony and communion as celebrating your anniversary. Uh, when you get married, you are saying, I'm going to join my life with this person. I want everybody to know, and I want everybody to celebrate with us. And then on your anniversary, you celebrate that. Likewise, with baptism, you're saying to the world, I now follow Jesus. My sins are forgiven because of what he did on the cross. And I am entering into a new relationship with him where he is my Lord and master. And I'm going to follow him from this point on. And then you celebrate and remind yourself of that with communion. So those are kind of separate. We've talked about communion a lot. We'll probably talk about baptism in the future as well. Let's move on to core practices. So under that rubric of saying yes, there, the core practice, and you'll notice that each of these uh, next steps tie into either a public or a private practice. So this is an on your own practice for the most part, and we call it life journaling. That's reading and responding to God's word daily. Some of you have talked about, uh, have been taught to have a quiet time or devotional time. Life journaling is the same thing. It's a particular type of uh, quiet time or devotional practice, but that's what we are promoting. That's something that you just do on your own. It's a way of constantly saying that unconditional yes to Jesus. Today, Lord, I'm giving you this day. What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? But there is also a public side of saying yes to Jesus as well, and that is the next step of worship. And that's the practice of worshiping together weekly and that's the shift that we're making now. We're going to begin talking about that for just a little bit. And the question that I'm going to answer today is this. Is the Sabbath practice relevant for today? Is the Sabbath practice relevant for today? As you'll see, the Sabbath was something that was established at the beginning of the people of God being called to God, where they would rest on the seventh day, what we call Saturday. They would cease from their labors, and that was one of the Ten Commandments. It was highly emphasized in the Old Covenant and in the Hebrew Scriptures. So the question is, does that practice have any relevance for us today? And there are two main reasons why people say no. Number one, as I just mentioned, it's a part of the Old Testament practice that it was um, established under the Old Covenant. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are under the New Covenant. And just like there are many aspects of the Old Covenant law that we are freed from, that we no longer participate in, dietary rules, celebrations, sacrifices, that the, the Sabbath, people would say, kind of falls into that same thing. It's not something that we have to worry about anymore. And so you don't bother. Uh, more common, I would say, is the idea that has nothing to do with that. It's just that it's plain old impractical. That the idea that we would stop working for an entire day out of the seven and just sit back and relax and do nothing, that's crazy talk. You know, nobody does that anymore. 
I've seen articles, maybe you have too, of predictions that were made like 40, 50 years ago uh, of what the future would be like. And there were all these time-saving and labor-saving devices that were coming onto the scene. And so everybody agreed, oh, 20, 30, 40 years from now, people are only going to work 15, 20 hours a week. I mean, what are they going to do? All these things will do all the work for them, right? Now we have more time-saving, more labor-saving devices than ever before in the history of the world. And we, especially as Americans, work harder and longer and more hours than ever before. All we do is we fill up the extra time with more labor. So the idea that I would forego that, that I would take time off when I could be productive and making money and doing stuff, that's just crazy talk. We don't do that, especially as Americans. So for people in our time and place, does the Sabbath practice have relevance for us today? So today we're going to look at the Sabbath principle and answer that question. And obviously, today we are talking about the Sabbath. The bottom line for today is this. I believe that the Sabbath principle, and I think you'll see and you'll agree before the end of the day, is relevant for today. Easy, straightforward answer to that question. Is it relevant for today? Why, yes, it is. And I think you will see why overview of what we're going to talk about. A Sabbath reminds us of our relationship to God. A Sabbath focuses, on the focuses us on the resurrection of Jesus, and a Sabbath pictures our redemption or salvation story. So I'm going to begin today, once again, unapologetically challenging you, challenging you to commit to worship together weekly. That's kind of the baseline. That's our next step. But I believe that it will benefit you. I think that will might even make you make your life better and make you better at life. So we'll see. What I want to do for the scriptures is I want to kind of give you the progression. We're going to start at creation in Genesis. We're going to look at the Old Testament uh, prescription for the Sabbath, and we're going to look at the New Testament interpretation of the Sabbath. So we're going to look at three brief scriptures together. I'm going to read the first two in the New Living Translation and the last one in the Christian Standard Bible if you want to try to follow along uh, with that. So these are brief passages. It won't take long. Genesis chapter 1, the last verse, verse 31, to the first three verses of chapter 2 say this. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Chapter 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of all creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Just a little bit further along in the next book, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. It says this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female slaves, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath, Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, fast forward all the way to the book of Hebrews, which is towards the end of the New Testament. And talking about the Sabbath, the author of the book of Hebrews says this, chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. He, talking about God, again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this, speaking through David, after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm struck by our celebration of communion and the reading of your word, especially that passage in Hebrews, of how gracious and good you are to have done everything for us. That we were hopelessly lost in sin and death, and you gave yourself for our sins and died a death you did not deserve so that we could be given the gift of life that we could not earn. And we do that by entering your rest. Lord, I pray that as we look at these scriptures today, that you would renew and refresh our understanding of the gospel, fill us with gratitude, and help us to know practically how to apply what we hear today in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, my bottom line for today is that the Sabbath principle is relevant for today. Beginning with the establishment of the Sabbath, it's rooted in our relationship with God. And what the Sabbath does is it reminds us of our relationship with God. Let's begin in Exodus chapter 20. It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea. This is in the midst of the Ten Commandments and and. It's explaining the, the logic behind recognizing and observing a Sabbath. Uh, in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. Now, this raises some interesting questions. Was God tired? I mean, was he worn out after making creation? No. The idea of, of the word rest, as it is translated here, is the idea of cessation, of ceasing. It's not that God was worn out and he needed to take a breather. It's that he completed his work. So he stopped. The work was done. So he ceased or rested. So based on that, based on creation's model, 
it says, tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. Why? For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. There's a lot packed in there. Number one, because the Sabbath practice is rooted in creation, it reminds us of our relationship to God as creator. He is the one who created us. And when we observe a Sabbath practice or pattern, it's a constant reminder that God is creator and we are creation. In the midst of this passage in the Ten Commandments, it goes on to say, the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So it was a sign. It's like there's this people and they follow this God and part of their practice, their rhythms of grace is that they observe a Sabbath. That set them apart made them holy, that's the root word, uh, that's the root meaning of holy, from the other nations. Just like if you were to actually take an entire day where you ceased from your labors, that would set you apart from your neighbors because that's not our common practice in our day and time. Same for the people as well. They had a Sabbath year. They were an agrarian culture. They would set aside an entire year where they wouldn't plant and they would just let the fields lie, fallow, not do anything with them. Can you imagine how countercultural that is? What if you said, I would love to take this job, but I'm only going to work for you for six years and then I'm going to take a whole year off and I'm not going to do any work. Would your boss go for that? Would you go for that? That means you would have to plan your six years so that you could live in that one year off. We'll shrink that down into a week. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about now. It was countercultural. It was a sign. It reminded them of their relationship to God as creator. And it also reminded them, as I put in your notes, you'll see this here, that he was their sustainer, that I'm the one who makes you holy. This whole idea of a people of God that is set apart for me, that, that are, have a special relationship with me, I'm the one who started that, God is saying, and I'm the one that's going to keep it up. And as you take time off, you are reminded it's not about me and my labors, it's about God and what he has done. And then it goes on to say when the Ten Commandments are reestablished and re, uh, re-preached in Deuteronomy, it says this, remember that you were once, and this is in the context of talking about the Sabbath, slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. You might remember when I was reading the passage in Exodus, it was saying, you, your family, your sons and daughters, your animals, your, the foreigners that live in your household, everybody gets to take a break. Notice the why. You remember, you were slaves. You didn't have the option of taking a day off. You were working from the beginning of the day to the end, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You were slaves, but I rescued you. I redeemed you. 
And every time you cease from your labors, you have the option, the privilege of doing that. You are reminded of that relationship, which is the relationship of deliverer or redeemer. So from the very beginning, what God did in establishing the Sabbath was reminding people of their relationship with him. And you can think of that as creator, sustainer, and deliverer. Now, when Jesus came along and the new covenant was established, things were changed. Things were reinterpreted. They understood this in a different way. So let's look at that. Sabbath principle is relevant for today. It reminded people from the very beginning of their relationship with God. And after the resurrection of Jesus, a Sabbath focuses us on the resurrection of Jesus. So most uh, virtual, all of the original followers of Jesus came from this Jewish Hebrew background. They would have followed the Sabbath practice. Then on the first day of the week, the day that we call Sunday, they would have called just the first day or the day, one day past the Sabbath. That was when, of course, the resurrection happened and was discovered. So it says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the, tomb had, tomb had been, that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So that's when the resurrection was discovered. And so from that point on, that first day of the week had special significance to the followers of Jesus because that was the day of the resurrection. Now there is also a tradition of new creation, that the first creation was done in six days. God rested on the seventh day. And then you have the day after. That's the beginning of an ongoing creation. So they would talk about this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. If anyone is in Christ, you're in this new relationship. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So from that early days, and you see this in the scripture and you see it in church history, the church, the followers of Jesus began getting together weekly on the first day of the week. Let's look at the book of Acts. What's it say? On the first day of the week. What happened on the first day of the week? We gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper and Paul was preaching to them. Now, this is great. Now, why are they, uh, um, when are they meeting? They are meeting on what we would call Saturday night. Did you notice in the creation account, account there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. That's what it said. So from a Hebrew perspective, the day began at sunset and ended at the next sunset. So the first day of the week for them would have began on Saturday night. So that's when they were meeting, first day of the week. But for us, we would think of it as Saturday night. This is great because Paul is getting ready to go out of town. He has a limited amount of time with them. So they began, they began gathering and preaching and he's talking into the night. They're on like a, a, a second story or I think it's a second story. Somebody's sitting in the window. Paul has preached so long that somebody falls asleep that's sitting in the window, falls out of the window falls to his death, 
Paul has to go and revive him, bring him back to life, and then they finish the service. I have never preached that long, just so you know. <laughs> Nobody has ever fallen asleep and fallen out of a window. Notice the caveat there. And I have never preached into the middle of the night. But uh, since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. So, but I, what I want you to notice here is that pattern as, was established from early days of meeting together on the first day, and they would meet together for what? For fellowship, for prayer, for observing Lord's Supper, for reading the scriptures, and for preaching. Eventually, that day, the first day, became known as the Lord's Day because they already had the Sabbath. And for many of those Jewish believers, they would have continued to observe the Sabbath, but they also observed that first day of the week and they began to call it the Lord's Day. We see this in the scripture in Revelation as the apostle John is setting up this whole vision that he uh, experienced. He's saying this is when and how it happened. It was the Lord's Day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Why worshiping in the spirit? He was in exile. He was in prison. He didn't have the option of joining with other believers. So, uh, even in the early church, you see the practice of a Sabbath continuing for Jewish believers, but also being reinterpreted and reimagined in the context of the new covenant. Now, it became a point of contention and confusion because people would, I think, kind of naturally assume, well, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a big thing. We don't throw out, oh, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal. Why are we throwing out the Sabbath practice? And so they elevated that, some people elevated that to a law that was universal and needed to continue. The Apostle Paul addressed this when he was writing to the church at Colossae, and this is what he says. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbath. He's obviously dealing with people who people are coming in and saying, oh yeah, you follow Jesus, that's great, but you also got to do this and you got to do this and you got to celebrate this and you got to observe this. You don't get to just uh, do a mulligan on all of that stuff. You have to do this stuff. And the apostle Paul is saying, no, that's wrong. Why? He goes on to say, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying all of these ceremonies, all of these observances, they were important and they had a teaching um, function. But what they were supposed to do is when Jesus came along for you to say, wow, that's what this was all about. It all makes sense now. All those sacrifices and those ceremonies, they find their fulfillment in Jesus. This is what it was pointing to all along. Jesus said the exact thing when he said, you search the scriptures, uh, thinking that in them you will find eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, Jesus said, if you just focus on the shadows, you're going to miss the substance. So that's what he is saying. This is an important thing 
for me just to throw out there because as you follow Jesus, you almost certainly are going to encounter somebody who will make this argument to you and say, oh, I'm so glad you follow Jesus, but you worship on Sunday? Uh, that's not biblical. I mean, that's, 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 that's something that was man-made. Look, the scriptures say you got to observe the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You, can, you can't just throw that out. It's important for you to do that. And what the scriptures say, what the Apostle Paul tells us, is that that's wrong. And I put a note in your growth guide that I'm just going to read to you because I think it's really important. What we're talking about there and what the Apostle Paul is dealing with is the issue of legalism. And if you see right in the middle of the third page, it says, observe the principle and reject legalism. You can observe the principle of the Sabbath and you can reject legalism when it comes to the Sabbath. And here's how I define legalism. It's when a man-made rule or a personal conviction, something that man makes up or something that's personal, a personal conviction to you is raised to the status of a universal law that must be observed, especially in order to merit or prove salvation. If you don't celebrate, observe the Sabbath, you're not truly saved. If you go to, uh, you know, there, uh, uh, I, there was kind of a funny story at school, uh, Christian school, it was like, you can't go to R-rated movies if you attend the school, which is, you know, I can understand that. There's lots of junk in R-rated movies. Then the Passion of the Christ came out, which is R-rated, and the kids wanted to see it. And they're like, oh, okay, how do we figure this out? Um, another example, I, uh, this is something that is a personal conviction of mine. In the scriptures, it says, don't let any um, perverse, unclean words come from your lips. So as a rule, I have a pretty strong conviction against um, not pornography, that too, but um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, profanity, that's the one. <laughs> Let's start with a P. Uh, and so, so I, just, I just don't get that. But there I have believer friends, most notably Catholic believer friends, who do not have that conviction at all. <laughs> Priests who do not have that conviction at all. It doesn't make sense to me. It's, I can point to the scriptures that say, no, no unclean words come out of your mouth. And, and it's such an easy way to, to separate yourself from uh, just everybody else. I don't get it. But that's a personal conviction. And I'm not going to impose that upon my believing friends. I will teach it. I will encourage it. But it's not a salvation issue. It's not a universal right and wrong, evidently. So that's an important thing. You can observe the principle, like the principle of the Sabbath, without confusing it with a salvation or be drifting into legalism. That's the important note I wanted to make. Okay, let's wrap this up. Sabbath principle is relevant for today. It reminds us of our relationship with our God as creator, sustainer, and deliverer. It focuses us on the resurrection of Jesus. The, without the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no church, there would be no Christianity, there would be no Bible as we know it. You guys would be doing something else this morning. That it focuses on, it so totally transformed everything. It was the big aha moment. Yes, that's what this is all about. 
and the Sabbath, lastly, pictures our redemption story. It tells the story of salvation. So in that passage in Hebrews that I read, the book of Hebrews is basically writing to Hebrew believers, duh, uh, and saying, don't give up on this faith in Jesus. Don't just revert back to the old way of doing things because it's easier. It's, it's harder to follow Jesus. You're being rejected by your families. You're being persecuted. There are things that don't make sense to you. But, but to give up on Jesus would be like uh, rejecting the four-course meal for the scraps on the floor. You just don't do that. And so when it comes to the issue of Sabbath, he's saying, uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is arguing, this is, this is one of those things that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And to give up on Jesus to observe the Sabbath would be rejecting the substance for the shadow. So he, said, so he points out from the scriptures how uh, God promised there's a Sabbath rest for the people. And when they were going into the promised land and Joshua was leading them into the promised land, there was the idea of, whew, we're gonna have rest. We're gonna be at ease. We're gonna have a home. Once we press through, once we win these battles, once we acquire this land, then we will be at home. We will be at rest. But then, even after they go into the promised land, even after they've established the new kingdom, God is still talking about entering into his rest. So the author of Hebrews says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Even though it was accomplished in stages in the past, there's, there's something more, there's something beyond that. There's something that they don't get, that they didn't get that's available to us. And he, the author explains it this way, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. So again, he's referring back to creation. God creates and then he ceases. He rests. The work is done. And so he's saying when, when you enter into God's rest, you do the same thing. You cease from your labors. What is this doing? This is picturing salvation for us. As we reflect on it, it's like, okay, we were working so hard. We were trying to do the right thing. We were failing, but trying to pick ourselves up and do the same thing. Trying to figure out, how do I please you, God? What, what's, what, what are the minimum entrance requirements for being in your favor? For, you know, how do I, what boxes do I need to check? And then Jesus comes along and does it for us accomplishes everything necessary for our salvation and says, in essence, I got this. I took care of it. All you have to do is walk through the door. You can cease from your labors of trying to earn your way into God's favor. I'm going to give it to you as a gift. So the Sabbath principle reminds us of salvation, that we can't work hard enough, do enough stuff, that in order to be in God's family and a part of his kingdom, you have to rest, cease trying to earn what he would give you as a gift. And this is hinted at, let's bring it full circle, all the way back in creation. Remember how I was explaining the days uh, 
God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good and evening passed and morning came marking the sixth day. And then it starts to talk about the seventh day. It says on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested, he ceased from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from his work of creation. And that's where the story of creation ends for this segment. Did you notice what was missing? And there was evening and there was morning, the seventh day. People have suggested that because that difference is there, it was probably intentional. And it invites us into the thought that after God created everything, there was a day of rest and enjoyment and ceasing from your labors that was designed to never ever end. There was not evening and there was not morning, the seventh day. The seventh day was designed to last forever. Now we know what happened in the next couple of chapters of Genesis and that was lost. But now through Jesus, the redemption has been occurring and he invites us to come full circle and enter into his rest. A time for your labors to cease that doesn't have a morning and doesn't have an evening and never ever ends. So I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to say yes to that offer. This is the beginning, that first step when we say yes to Jesus as Savior and as Lord. If you're doing that for the first time, you can indicate that on any of these ways that I've been talking about. If you do a double circle, on the say yes, or if you do it online, you'll see how to indicate that. That's when you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time. We want to celebrate that, and we want to resource you for your walk with Jesus. But I'm going to encourage all of us, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to take the next step of worship. So let's review. The Sabbath principle, that's what we're talking about today. I believe it's relevant today because it reminds us of our relationship to God. It focuses us on the key event of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus. And it reminds us, pictures for us, our redemption story. So I'm gonna challenge you to do this. We'll, we'll, um, we'll make the case for this more and more over time. But the part of the Sabbath principle that was established early on in the church was that we would gather together to do what we're doing today. They've been doing that for 2,000 years. I want the environment for you to provide everything that you need so that you grow, flourish, and are fruitful in your spiritual journey. So that's why. Not so that we can add to our numbers, so we can add to our offering, so that we could whatever. I know that if you commit to weekly worship, you will grow. And so I am going to unapologetically, unapologetically encourage you to do just that. If you're filling out the card, if you're doing it online, there is a place that says worship. It's on the bottom of the card. Maybe this is a no-brainer. You've done this 
for years you've been committed to worship. Maybe it's something that you did, you used to, but you kind of got out of the habit. Maybe this is a brand new thing for you. I'm just going to encourage everyone, everyone here, everyone watching online, if that's your commitment from this point forward, no matter your track record, to just circle the word worship. Circle the word worship. Mark it on the form when you fill it out online. And let's celebrate that commitment together. And let's see what God will do to nourish, grow, and make you fruitful in the days to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful again for the gospel that you have established your rest for us and encouraged us and invited us into your rest through what Jesus did on the cross. May we benefit from that. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be committed to the practices that are going to result in spiritual growth, the growth and fruitfulness that can be ours in you. And I thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you bless, protect, and watch over us. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a great week.